Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Nunes' is an Absolute Podcast. Joining me in the co-host chair for, I believe, the first time on our version of the podcast? Maybe second? I, believe, uh, I think it's the first one. Yeah, yeah. There we go. We have Kevin Wall, uh, the esteemed uh, editor of Troy Nunes is an Absolute Magician. I'm sure you guys have heard of him. Um, what's, what's going on this week, Kev? Just uh, back from a little vacation in Rhode Island, getting ready for camp and get the last bit of rest before preseason kicks off officially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're this is uh, this week was the calm before the storm. If you didn't notice around the site, uh, it seems like everybody was on vacation and everything was a little light. We still got you your get to knows because you have to. Um, but the news didn't stop, so we've got plenty to talk about this week on the pod. Um, we might as well. It's going to be a bulk of a football mess. So I would say since we had two weeks since our last pod, anyone who who just gets orange news from this podcast, yeah. uh, let's let's at least give a little love to um, whatever happened two weeks ago or last weekend in the basketball tournament. So since we last recorded, <laughs> since we last met our heroes, uh, <laughs> Jimmy was named to the team and then the whole tournament happened which um wasn't much of one for the orange uh Bayheim's army if you didn't hear was upset in the second round by the nerd team um i believe 84 to 79 or something around there something uh, like that after absolutely walking their first round game so unexpected not uh not something we remotely saw happening but uh, happened nonetheless. So the returning champs are out. That kind of closed the book on the 21-22 Syracuse uh, <laughs> year in athletics. Yeah. Uh, the heavily favored, more talented Bayheim's Army team lost to a bunch of nerds who shot threes very well. Which... And Bayheim's Army could not do it. So Yeah, yeah, that's... I, I don't know. It's it's only fitting that the coda on the end of the entirety of Syracuse athletics for last year was um, was whatever that was. So I guess we've got another year to wait until we hear uh, until we hear something from our alumni again. So um, that was that was that, and that was pretty much all of our hoops news outside of the fact that we have another non-conference game against Northeastern. Northeastern, yeah. So we've finished the uh, non-conference portion portion of the schedule. We know who Syracuse plays in the ACC. We just don't know the dates and how that's going to actually shake out. Uh, it's a much lighter schedule than last year, which makes sense when you've got six new freshmen <laughs> right. um, and a and a new transfer. So um, you know, it certainly makes sense for Syracuse to have a less challenging, but there'll still be some games that are of interest. Uh, you know, Bryant was an NCAA tournament team. Colgate, obviously, which won last year, made the NCAA tournament. So there's a couple of those, uh, what we would consider lesser teams who do have uh, postseason experience. Um, and so they'll be interesting to watch. But it's a much more manageable non-conference schedule. I know some people are worried about strength of schedule and thinking ahead to March and tournament. And, of course, Syracuse being on the bubble because that's what Syracuse does. Um, and it's way too soon to worry about that. Uh, the nice thing is Syracuse gets a lot of the big ACC names at home next year. So if, uh, 
you're the attendance folks or the people selling tickets. So you're happy about Duke and Carolina and Notre Dame coming into the dome. Um, Syracuse oddly doesn't go to North Carolina until the ACC tournament, which is a, a weird sort of schedule thing. But uh, yeah, that was the basketball news. And so we'll start to hear a little bit more. I've got a little update on recruiting for 2023 running tomorrow on the site. And you know, I know people, we don't get into recruiting that far ahead usually until we get commitments, but the offers are, are low and the number of spots right now are low. So, you know, we'll try and keep up on that news. Yeah, so we're going to be in another one of those situations. I Like you mentioned, I, I don't know if anybody in on the site is all too deep in the weeds on the recruiting front. So, um, you know, it's not it's not like we're going to get, you know, scooped out on anything that uh, that comes out of nowhere, but it'll be interesting to see where this class kind of fleshes out because like you said there's there's not much but there's i don't know it seems like they need some pieces but there's not many spots for those pieces yeah i mean circus has an offer for the number one recruit dj wagner um but he's pretty much down to i think most people consider kentucky louisville so uh the good news for Syracuse is that jp estrella who's a six eleven forward slash center um, from out of Maine, just canceled the visit that he had scheduled to Duke. He comes to Syracuse later this week. Uh, he's been to Iowa, Tennessee, and I believe Marquette. Um, so it looks like it could be down to Syracuse and, and potentially Iowa for him, um, which may not seem like a big deal, but Jesse Edwards does enter his fourth year this year. He could come back in 23, 23, 24. Man, it's hard to keep track of the calendar. Um, but <laughs> Obviously, that's uncertain. So, you know, Syracuse definitely needs another big. Um, so that's big news. When you get a player that uh, Estrella had been a four, he's a four-star. I think he's, you know, somewhere in the 75 to 100 range on most sites. But he's a player this summer whose stock is rising, um, probably in large part because Duke offered him and had wanted to bring him in on a visit. But you know, looking at the rankings, Duke has like at least three top 25 commits already. So Estrella seems like a smart kid, probably looked around and said, yeah, that might not be the best spot for immediate <laughs> playing time. So, yep. uh, you know, so so Syracuse gets the, looks like his, well, it's his fourth visit. I don't know if he'll get a fifth, he'll schedule a fifth and final one, but getting him at the end, Syracuse was in on him early. He's going to Brewster Prep, um, Prep School of Buddy Beheim, CJ Fair, Chris McCullough. So there's a good, good relationship there obviously and so uh, i wrote up something that you'll see tomorrow on the site about that yeah and that's uh, i mean it, we know that fifth isn't going to be duke so at least right. there's that ace in the hole that um it's not going to be the most uphill battle we can fight to get him so here's to hoping that that's going to kind of come to come to fruition and we'll see we'll see where that class lands um it's always i I didn't pull it up right now, but it's one of those where every time I think about recruiting, all I do is pull up verbal commits and look at yep. what these classes could have looked like at present, and it's just mildly frightening. So, uh, either way, we're we're out of depressing basketball talk into uh, less depressing lacrosse talk at this point. So we're we're totally bearing the lead on the football stuff for you guys until after halftime. Um, oh. the, the first half's going to be short, but. Uh, we did uh, receive a Fogo transferring in, which has long been, if you ask, well, anyone who watched Syracuse, well, right. ever. Um, w without FOP, we, we need something. 
and it seems like uh, Johnny Rachusia from Canisius has oh. officially transferred into Syracuse. So this is someone who TJ Erlen uh, apparently has worked with or had his eye on, and uh, it should, you know, uh, it, it's at least another option, another, you know, person in the spot. And there wasn't anybody in the spot, so I think we're, I think we're better off than we were with him than without him. Yeah, absolutely. And you hope that it's someone that Erlen works out with. I guess there's a group of face-off Fogos who work out in the lacrosse area with Erlen, and so it's someone he's familiar with. And you hope that that familiarity, you know, Canisius wasn't a very good team last year, so you're getting a player who look. It's a position that's unheralded, so right. Um, you know, you need options, you need bodies. And so looks like this is a, a good addition. Um, you know, I, I talk about it a lot to remind people that lacrosse is not a headcount sport like football or basketball. Mm-hmm. There's only so many scholarships available for a 50-man roster. And uh, when you've got a, the number one recruit in the country coming in, Joey Spelina, I, I would assume he's probably on a full or pretty close to it. Um, Owen Hiltz comes back. He's Canadian, so we know he's on a full. Yep. And so, you know, those are the things that you have to consider. So some of these positions, you have to be smart with how you, uh, you know, address them. And so hopefully getting someone who's in state that, you know, looking at what Syracuse can offer academically, athletic, as well as athletically can come in and, and contribute, um, you know, without taking up a lot of scholarship space for the team. So. Yeah. And that uh, it should, I think he's what the fifth transfer in this year. So we're replacing some of the some of the body count we needed. Um, you know, yep. it's not a headcount sport for scholarships, but it sure is when you get on the field. <laughs> so yeah, there are definitely positions of need. So Syracuse picked up a transfer goalie, uh, some help on defense. Yep, to kind of replace. And then obviously, you know, it's how quickly these freshmen can come in um, and be ready to to contribute and contribute right off the bat, and it's a meaningful in a meaningful way. So um, that will depend on how far the men's lacrosse team will, will go and the women's lacrosse teams getting a couple of important players back yep. for that extra year. Um, and they'll get Kayla trainer, full-time coach. Uh, she right. has announced her retirement after the recent world cup. She's going to step aside from team USA, which, you know, really is mostly a summer gig, but doesn't mean that trainer is going to put away the stick. Uh, she'll be out there, you know, I'm sure in the practice field with the team and, doing individual workouts but without that extra commitment of staying in international playing shape you know maybe there's a little bit more uh attention and focus she said to the coaching aspect of her career now yeah and it's i mean it's great to see what she's done uh i mean as an ambassador to the program as well but uh, you know her international career is just extremely heralded so to to see where you know, where she's been through this whole thing, uh, trying to stay at that peak, like you said, maintain that international caliber yeah. athleticism and shape well being a full-time coach, uh, be it an assistant at BC or here uh, as the head coach. It's it's just downright impressive. So um, good, good to see her full-time with the Orange. Uh, sucks to not see her on the field anymore because even some of those highlights from this year's were impressive. Yeah. Yeah, and if people haven't checked out uh, John, um, our lacrosse John, uh, did a great job of recapping her impact on the playing field and put in a couple of those clips, uh, especially from this summer, of what she's able to do 
um, with the stick in her hands. Um, yep. Pretty impressive. And for those of you who haven't read it, I thought he did an excellent job of kind of talking about that legacy and that impact on the women's game that Kayla had. And I think, um, you know, there, there'll be some bumps in the road as far as a new coach uh, coming in, but I don't think you can understate the sort of uh, attraction she'll have to players um, based on what she was able to do on the field. And for this generation of, of upcoming lacrosse players, they're certainly familiar with Kayla Trainer and her her skill set and, and her creativity. And so I think it should be an exciting time for Syracuse lacrosse fans on both sides. I mean, I know we kind of gave Gary Gate a little, a little bit of a hard time, you know, his first year transitioning in, but very similar. I mean, there are very few colleges who boast a duo who were that um, successful as players uh, that yeah. are now head coaches at their alma mater. So, Absolutely. and, you know, even though Jim Beheim didn't have the playing career, we will, you know, certainly add that legacy that uh, he has as a player and coach at Syracuse uh, uh, makes mean, the, the orange unique. That actually, you know, you have, you have Beheim legit Jack now. Yeah. So yes, that's right. You know, here yeah. we, here we go. I, I think, I think gate tips the scales a little more over Beheim but <laughs> yes yeah so i think just a just a tad in terms of playing but but gary's got a little ways to go to catch him on the coaching resume so also true also true so trainer ends up leaving team usa as the all-time leading point and goal scorer at major tournaments so uh 77 career points 44 goals not a bad resume but glad to have and a full-time a, in orange <laughs> a fitting number of goals to oh absolutely retire on, maybe that, on maybe that was actually it <laughs> We'll, maybe we'll maybe shift that, 44 right? and that was done. Like we're, we're, yep. we're, we're gone. Stop uh, right there. So um, there's no good way to transition, but we'll take this to halftime. Cause I'd assume the rest of this is just going to be football talk. Um, as always uh, use the code noons when you visit homefieldapparel.com because they have really good, really comfortable, really quality shirts uh, and joggers. If you can ever find them in stock, but um, yeah, use the, the promo noons for 10% off your, uh, order um, every week they've been launching they're back into big new Saturday mode this week I believe was the Oregon State Beavers and some hilarity uh, or hilarious um, different designs have been dropped so uh, check them out uh, the SU collection is still you know growing but yeah. when all else fails just go for Vita the Goat it's it's a classic yes. can't go wrong with Vita the Goat <laughs> So, um, I guess back to a time in Syracuse when Vita the Goat was probably roaming the sidelines when Syracuse was good at football. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're moving into the football talk. And yes. there's a lot of glass half full stuff and a lot of glass half empty stuff. And I think we're probably going to fall somewhere in between. But um, we did pick up two commitments. Jaden Bass, who is a tackle, um, offensive tackle, and Ike Daniels, who's a running back over the course of since you since since you last talked to us all, yeah. um, any thoughts on either of them, Kev? Uh, Bass comes from the same high school in Springfield, Mass. as Terry Lockett, so um, Syracuse getting on him early. He's a big kid. I think he's six five, six six, three hundred yeah. pounds right six, now. Six five, so, two ninety five is what he's listed at. So he's got the frame. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. I mean, he didn't have the offers that I think a lot of people wanted to see. So. But he's somewhat local, and uh, you know I think if you you know if you, offensive linemen are going to come in in red shirt, 
Oh, yeah. So if you've got someone with the frame and if Mike Schmidt sees something that he likes in terms of technique or something that he can work with, I think, you know, I have no problem with that. I, I'm not one that says, oh, my gosh, you know, that look who we beat out. He can't be good. So. Right. And the other thing with that is people, for some reason, can't comprehend that a school like Syracuse has to get down on these kids and accept them before. Like they're not scouting the five star and four star kids. As we've right. said for years, we've had, I believe, 23 four-star kids in Syracuse's history, two five-star kids ever, one of which transferred right. immediately. Um, like, there, there's not a track record of Syracuse recruiting above a three-star level. And that three-star right. level is a very wide and broad playing field. And if we can get in on these kids in a spot where the coach likes them and sees something and get in there before – you end up having a win, like you said, in the basketball front where we were in early on. Um, oh, God, I already forgot his name. Estrella. Uh, Estrella, yep. I was like, J JP something. <laughs> I was going to say JP to Della Camera, but then I realized that was an MLS announcer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so soccer plug at uh, the 15-minute mark. All right, we're, we're on target. Um, but, yeah, uh, getting in getting in early doesn't hurt, and getting an offer out there early doesn't hurt, especially when they're going to commit. Right. And I think, you know, you talked about the four stars, you did the research, I'm going to start looking at Pitt and BC, because people brought them up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there's distinct uh, recruiting advantages that Pitt has. I'm very curious when I dig into BC's numbers to see how many of their four stars actually come from Jesuit high schools, mm -hmm. um, which obviously plays into their pipeline right. as a Jesuit institution. So um, th there's not a lot of four star talent in New York and in New England. So um, when people think about that, just overall number i think there's this misconception of what you need to do to recruit um and you've got basically if you're syracuse you've got to hit on more of these players and and you've got to find the ones that fit your system or that you see something that you know you think that maybe they've got in two years there's something that that works um for you be whereas a bigger school looks at them as a plan b or c right you know like they're not going to take an early commitment from a player of this caliber because they've got other irons in the fire. And they're, so they're going to say, put to wait and see. Now, Daniels, on the other hand, chose Syracuse over Hawaii, but his offer list was full of P5s. And right. so I think that's a, a get that Syracuse fans should be excited about. And, you know, it goes to show you when you have a back like Sean Tucker, who has the year he has um, with a limited passing game, with an offensive line that was banged up, um, it just sends a message to recruits that, hey, this is a system where I can flourish as a running back right. and get my name out there and notice because Tucker was a three-star and a uh, pretty unheralded recruit who, you know, took advantage. And so, you know, Daniels looks like a, a really good get out of Virginia. Um, you know, Virginia and Virginia Tech had offered him. I believe Tennessee had offered him. Michigan State had offered him. So he had quite the list. And so even if you see, oh, he picked Syracuse over Hawaii, you got to dig a little bit deeper as to, you know, who he eliminated beforehand. Right. And the full list was Tennessee, Michigan State, South Carolina, Penn State, Boston College, Pitt, and Wake for P5s. So yeah. that's uh, for a 5'10", 185-pound kid out of Virginia that is a high, high three-star. He's actually uh, our second highest besides uh, Lenora Sellers. Yep. So um, he's he's talent and if you know the op almost the opposite of what we saw from uh, bass 
in that right. everybody else is already in on them and we somehow got a win out of it. So I would say that's a that's a solid sign that things are either moving up or maybe, you know, being from Virginia, he sees the connection with an A and Beck. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where regardless of who the coach is at Syracuse, there's something to be said for continuity um, and the ability for coaches to be able to recruit. Yep. I think you've added an A and Beck who seem to have pretty strong connections recruiting-wise. Um, we've seen what Nick Monroe can do. Obviously now Tony White, his name and his sort of um, resume has been highlighted over the past year as national media recognize him as a coach on the rise. So when he goes in to talk to a player, I think it means a little bit more now than it might have when he first came in, uh, you know, joined the staff. And so as you build that sort of, you know, staff continuity, the program continuity, um, some upgrades in facilities, some of the things that we've talked about, um, you can start to see the results in recruiting and then it's going to just carry over to the field now at this point. So I just had a complete out of left field when I was looking up the coaching staff. When did we get Coy Detmer Jr. on the staff? I mean, I know the answer, but how did we miss that? <laughs> or how did I miss that? Apparently February he joined. Yeah, so I don't think that that was promoted when he joined. Um, or Because there were a couple of new additions in that recruiting staff, and I think a couple of folks, they may have put a press release out after signing day. Um, yeah. But we don't get a lot of updates on the – I think he's a quality control, right? Uh, great assistant oh, or analyst. Yeah. So there's not a lot of publicity around those positions. Um, yeah. and so maybe he came in with, uh, Beck and an a, um, and that's the connection, but, uh, yeah, that's an interesting name to, to suddenly pop up that you think we would have, uh, gotten wind of earlier. Yeah. And also we're going to hit the, uh, the Steve is old drop because, I can distinctly remember his father playing <laughs> at college in the NFL between him, well, and his uncle. Yeah. So, right. Koi and, Koi and Ty were going to be the next hot thing coming out of college. And, well, they had really mm-hmm. solid careers, but didn't yeah. really make too much many waves. You're not going to get the Steve's old comment from me because you're the young <laughs> one on this true. podcast this week. This is so. true. <laughs> so, yeah, fun stuff. But I, I, yeah, I was randomly, I was looking up to, um, you know, make sure that Lynch uh, was still our running backs, running backs coach, which it's been, you know, it's kind of actually refreshing to see him have taken the step back to just being a position coach and also flourishing in that. And it's, I guess it's a testament to the staff that he's hanging around as the running back coach and that there's, you know, continuity there, like you said. Yeah, I think, you know, that and some of the loyalty from players as well. Um, Obviously, we had a couple of transfers out, but, you know, for the most part, players seem to like playing for Dino and his coaching staff, um, which I think is important for Syracuse. And and so you'll see, you know, see how that pays off. But, uh, you know, Sean Tucker made it known that he wasn't looking to leave unless there was a coaching change. You know, he dropped a pretty big hint last time. November, December, like, hey, you might be thinking about firing this guy, and then I might think about going to play somewhere else. And, you know, you talk about player power, and, you know, not to say that players should have 100% control over who their coach is, but when you have your star player who, even in a frustrating season, um, you know, is willing to go, and who doesn't say a lot publicly either, was willing to go out publicly and say, 
yeah, there's one thing that would make me change my mind and that's if there's a new head coach. And right. so, um, that was, I think a big thing. And that to me says, you know, that if anything else, like Babers has not lost the locker room. I think that's been the case throughout his entire tenure at Syracuse. And, and while fans might be frustrated and, and the overall results aren't what we would like them to be. Um, the fact is he's kept control of that team and, you know, you hope that it pays off this year because, you know, let's face it, people can talk about Nick's coach and, and new coaches is if we're looking at a new staff next December, uh, these recruits we're just talking about are probably not staying. Um, the, these coaches that we're talking about being excited about are probably not here either um, because if there's a new head coach, uh, unless it's someone on staff, which seems highly unlikely at this point. Especially you're talking about the last one went. Yeah, you're talking about a brand new staff. And, you know, then can Syracuse as a football program right now with what's going on nationally in the college football landscape and conference landscape afford to take another step back? Um, right, because it's a full yeah. reset. If you're yeah. if you're losing your head coach via fire, well, at least if you fire your head coach, you assume the whole staff gets wiped out. If you right. lose your head coach for good reasons, he'll you know, cherry pick a couple of guys, but you might be able to retain some talent. Um, But if no matter what, going into this next wild and woolly season of conference realignment talk, and if anybody wants to hear conference realignment talk, please check out our last episode uh, (laughs) where we waxed poetic for about half an hour on stupid things that could happen. But um, it seems like, and I know most fans don't want to hear it, but unless this season is completely upside down, I would personally want to retain Babers just from a standpoint of continuity. And, you know, there's there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that seem positive, and we're handed the worst schedule we've seen in years. Right. I think it's got to be – it can't just be win-loss record. Um, right. You know, I think there's, there's a lot of factors that go in because people say bowl game or bust, and uh, – you know, who's to say, um, I think you obviously, this team needs a bowl game. Um, this program needs a bowl game because it needs to get a couple of those in a row, uh, this schedule. And look, I know Purdue isn't a great team, but they're better than the majority of other non-conference opponents that are peer schools that everybody likes to compare us to are playing. Um, and we've done this over and over on the site is look at who BC schedules and look at who wake schedules and, you know, look at who the other schools in the ACC are scheduling in their non-conference and why they've been successful and Syracuse is not. And so, you know, I think if we can make it through this year, there's some uh, help on the horizon. Um, and as a spoiler alert, John Casillo is coming back this week with more schedule talk. So Tuesday, you'll see that piece oh drop that, that John dropped for us. Yep. Can't, <laughs> he can't quit schedule talk. No, but, no. you know, you'll, but you'll see, like, you know, Syracuse has to be smarter and fine. You, you can't control the Notre Dame game. That's part of the ACC deal. That's fine. You get Notre Dame at home. I get that. That's the draw. That's the big game in the dome. But why are you playing a second P five right. in Purdue? And then, you know, the other thing is then the conference has you open with Louisville and then you host Virginia mm-hmm. in the first month. And so, um, you know, people say, well, Virginia will take a step back. Well, Virginia was picked fourth in the coastal, <laughs> in the media poll ahead of Virginia tech and ahead of Georgia tech. And you know, probably expected Georgia tech to be and Duke to be down at the bottom, but you know, people think Virginia might be okay. And because they've got Brennan Armstrong and right. 
when you've got a good quarterback in college football, you've got a chance. And so it's a very uh, daunting schedule. Uh, it's set up that November, you know, there's that stretch. Um, I share it on Twitter. I think I forget who at ESPN rated it the toughest three or four game stretch in the country yep. um, because it's what Clemson, NC state, Notre Dame pit. So it's actually four games in a yeah. row. Um, and you can't do that when, you know, you, you can't do that when you're in this, in the position Syracuse is right now in 2022, you, you've got to build confidence. You've got to spend September getting your backups, meaningful reps, yeah. getting your starters rest um, and not going out and, you know, dealing with injuries and getting freshmen in there that, so that when all of a sudden you're playing that four game stretch, you know, now you're down six or seven starters and you're, you know, you're asking people who are not ready to play top 25 opponents to not only play them, but then play them for a month straight. Yeah. Now we do, you know, for better or worse, we have the bye week going into that stupid stretch. Yep. But, you know, our, our bye week uh, situations have not been phenomenal under Dino. So we'll right. see if the changeover in some of the coaching staff changes some of that. Who knows? Because um, it does always seem like it's the offense that came out flat whether that was yep. a Gilbert thing or a Dino thing or whatever, we'll, I guess we'll find out more on October 15th against NC State. But the, uh, I guess to, to hammer home the schedule stuff, that stretch that you're talking about, that four-game stretch, was handed to us. We can't do anything about that. Right. But what we could have done is something about that Purdue game. Right. And if you take that Purdue game and change it to anything else, you're looking at, uh, you know, at least some semblance of one, two, three, like wins with UConn, Wagner, and whatever that game could be. And that drops the number of toss-ups significantly in this squad or in the schedule. And that really, I mean, that's, that's what it's going to come down to just like even, well, literally every time we've been in the ACC uh, since 2013, it's all been a matter of which coin flips we can be on the right side of. Yeah, and you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum. You've got to schedule yourself to be three and one at worst in yep. a non conference. Ideally four and oh, but like you said, Notre Dame was handed to us, we couldn't do anything. And hey, you get them at home, so you play that game, so your other three have to be ninety five percent chance wins. Yeah. Um you, you know, and Wagner and, and going on the road to Yukon, you should address that. Like the swap Purdue at home for UMass at home. Yeah. And you, you know, and push Purdue right with, there. <laughs> you know, push Purdue out to twenty twenty four. I think that's the one where we need games. Yep. If you could, but like you, you know, that just that might not work in their schedule. But obviously, like those are the things that schools in Syracuse's position do. You, you know, you know, NC uh, BC played a series with New Mexico State, right. a home and home, I think, or two and one, and it was like, why are they playing them? Well, because they do it was three wins. Yep. And even if they had to pack up and go across the country for one game, who cares? You know, and they're playing uh, Maine and Holy Cross, and they're going to play UMass. And say they told UMass, you can, we'll play you, and your home game can be in Gillette Stadium. Like, and UMass right. did it for the money, but so you, you're limiting your chances because BC is doing the same thing with Notre Dame. All right, we're playing Notre Dame. And so then if you're 3-1, and one, now you've got to find three wins in conference. And then, you know, you can say if you can't consistently do that, then, yeah, you're you're not – the coaching, the talent, whatever is not up to par. But if you're, you're right. forcing yourself into two and two in the non-conference, like that's just asking for trouble. 
Yeah, you're you're literally like hamstringing yourself and then wondering why you can't get to the finish line. Right. And I think, you know, there's a reason why Syracuse is picked at the bottom of the Atlantic. And I think it's all because of the schedule. Is that people look at it and say, well, they'll start off 0-1. Um, then they'll beat uh, the win at UConn. And then, oh, Virginia, that's a toss-up game. And so if now if Syracuse loses that, they're 0-2 in the ACC. And they still have to play Clemson, NC State, Wake, Pitt, Florida State, and BC. And so where are you finding, you know, are you finding four wins out of that stretch? Um, maybe. Uh, but now all of a sudden, like, you're, you're really putting yourself in a, in a bad way. And, yeah, you can say that Syracuse has nothing, can't control that the ACC gives them Louisville in the opener. Um, but you know who you're playing because you know who you are in the Atlantic. And, and we can't get to that new schedule model fast enough. Right. Uh, so that we can mix in some of the Dukes and the Georgia Techs a little bit more often than than some of these other programs. But, I mean, when you look at the ACC quarterbacks that are returning and look at what side of the the bracket they're on or who's who's on the schedule, like yeah, other, than Tyler Van, <laughs> other than Tyler Van Dyke, Syracuse is getting the best. Yep. Um, you, you know, and so, and that's not even including Clemson. It's five-star. <laughs> because he yeah. didn't do well last year, but he's still a five-star monster surrounded by a load of talent. So, and he might be the worst or second worst, I guess. He's probably ahead of whoever you know, Florida State's George Travis. Those right. those two are the worst quarterbacks Syracuse is going to see in the Atlantic this year. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, yes, we get Florida State at home, but they're uh, who knows what we're getting with them. They could be mired right. in their stupidity of the last couple of years, or they could be on the comeback because they're Florida State and they still get the talent. And they've been getting some talent this year, including yep. the Albany transfer that Syracuse hoped to get. Jared, I think it was Verse, the defensive lineman. That's okay. Um, we, we've got Josh Huff so. putting on some bacon, and uh, at 315 uh, is doing his best Rhino impression and shifting over to D-line, so... Uh, at 315 that might be a permanent switch over there but uh yeah that's so so he had the torn acl so his rehab last year was like oh no no don't worry about your cardio eat as much as you want still (laughs) yep that sounds that sounds uh when actually when i did my knee that's when i ended up finding the weight room Uh, because i couldn't move i couldn't like do agility drills or run or do anything so it was like all right well i'm just gonna sit in the weight room and you know, pack on some some more meat. And Syracuse said he gained sixty pounds, but I believe he was probably two sixty in high school. Yeah. I think he was higher. So I, he's got a big frame. So I don't know that. You know, be curious to see what he looks like when when camp opens and you see some photos. Um, as soon as he's in, even if he's not out there in contact drills, just to see what he kind of looks like. And then I, I discovered over the weekend that Garth Barclay was also flipped, flipped over to the defensive line. Hmm from the offensive line. And I think he was the one that's the six, seven. Yeah. He's six, seven. So that's an interesting choice. Um, we'll see where he lines up if he's in the middle or if he's used as sort of a strong side defensive end, uh, uh, that size can help the run. Yeah. I'd put him outside and just, you know, plug some, plug some space. The problem with that lanky frame though is, you know, uh, I guess it depends on what kind of, um, what kind of, weight he added whether it was solid muscle and he's been in the program long enough that he's definitely added some you know had had enough strength and conditioning that whatever his frame's going to take he's got on but 
you know, he he was an offensive lineman. No offense to all of us. Compared to usually compared to defensive linemen, the athleticism differential is there. Right. Um, we'll see if I mean if they if Barkley switched, then that's a good good sign from uh, that standpoint. And also, yeah. we just need bodies over there at this point. Yeah, I think some of that is bodies. Um, you know, we've got a couple of defensive linemen that weren't early enrollees. So Kevin Jobity and Belazir Bissett, the best name. Best name ever. Um, who we'll get to know. Um, defensive linemen. We saw Dennis Jacquez, Francois Knowlton, Jatias yep. Gear, uh, Terry Lockett. You know, young players who looked, looked, seen, looked the part in the spring game. Yep. Um, you know, they might be ready to, to handle that too deep. Uh, and so, you know, you've got strength in the back line. I know there were, we had a commenter saying, well, why did Syracuse take transfer safeties and not defensive linemen? And uh, Elijah Clark and Braylon Oliver, who came from Louisville and Rutgers, respectively, um, no? were pretty, <laughs> you know, pretty highly regarded. Um, you know, there's the other thing about Syracuse. Syracuse can't afford to turn down talented players because of position glut. And, you know, we might have questioned why they added a couple of transfer wide receivers. Um, but, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, like when you look at the roster, um, maybe outside of, you know, the starters at linebacker and the starter at running back, you didn't have, you know, questions about who was going to be the starter at that position. But then when you start to look at that next level, you know, the backups, there were some unproven guys. There were some some questions. We saw last year the safe, the secondary when there were some injuries, especially in the safety spot, like teams exploited the middle of the field. Uh, Obviously, it's great to have the three linebackers back that we do, but you'd like to see them be able to come off the field every now and then to get some rest. <laughs> yeah, that um, kind of come in handy on occasion. So, you know, the, this I don't think you can be as picky. You know, it's not like, um, I shouldn't say, you know, in any sport. Like, I think if you can get talent, you get talent, and then you try and make it work. Um, but I'll be really curious to see on the defensive line who starts emerging in camp. Uh, we got the practice schedule. We know that the media is going to get an undetermined amount of time um, at certain practices. There's a number of closed practices. I don't think we're going to glean a lot of information um, from those limited views. Um, but you usually catch some hints in the coach and the player interviews, especially the player interviews, because they usually have a little bit uh, less. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit looser tongue, but a little bit more of like, you know, they'll get the questions of, oh, who's who's impressing you in practice? And they'll give oh, you the yeah. honest answer of who's impressing you. And that doesn't mean that that player is necessarily starting or on the too deep. But it, it lets you know, like, if someone is making a name for themselves among the players, then they're probably standing out to the coaches as well. And I think we heard that a lot last year at Deuce Chestnut. And we started to realize, like, yeah, this dude is going to start yeah. um, <laughs> from, from, the, from the beginning of the year. And uh, we saw, like, oh, yeah, that definitely was the right call there. Yeah, and I I don't want to beat a dead horse, but going back to the defensive line, we've got Steve Linton at 219, who's probably going to be our starting weak side. Right. Uh, and then the old, literally the only returning talent with any uh, experience with Caleb Okachukwu at 6'4", 268, who he fits the bill frame-wise, size-wise, skill-wise. I'm very curious with Linton on the backside what's going to happen there because right. he is a very good pass rusher, but playing anything that put, putting a DL next to your name when you're rocking two nineteen, yeah. do they swap him and Stefan Thompson? Like does Stefan Thompson put his hand on the ground? 
I, I'm really curious about that. We saw Thompson put his hand on the ground in passing situations last year, um, and he was effective. So you wonder, like, will there be spots where Thompson is kind of shifted up there? Is this an opportunity for Jaquez and Knowlton, yep. um, you know, to, to come in who are a little bit bigger and maybe take some of that time where Linton becomes more situational? Uh, you know, it'd be really curious to see how Tony White implements these pieces. Um, and some of it may be pred- predicated on the opponent. So when you're facing Louisville and Willie Cunningham, a quarterback who likes to run, you might want to have Linton there yeah, holding the edge and containing the edge. Uh, you know, when you face Clemson, who might want to put 300 pounders <laughs> at tackle, right. you know, that are as future- athletic as our defensive line. Right, you know, some future NFL draft picks and and run their 270-pound quarterback or, you know, off tackle. Like, you might need a a different rotation in those games. So, you'll be really curious to watch White, how he, you know, uses these pieces. But, yeah, that, you know, you pointed that out in the Slack, that Linton at 217, that that jumps out at you because that's that might even be small for the safeties. Yeah, yeah, that's – and especially at that height and frame – um, I can't imagine him going up against like Jordan McFadden, like you were saying with Clemson. It's yeah. just like, what? How? How does that work? <laughs> Two nineteen against whatever massiveness uh, McFadden is uh, currently listed at six two three ten. Yeah, that's yeah, only a hundred pounds. Yeah, you know, minor detail. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. So. So yeah. Um, more fun from that because always more fun when you talk schedule and rosters because we never talk those two enough around here. Um, I guess ACC preseason selections. Yep. We got the nod for Mr. Tucker, as was expected. Uh, I believe it was Jones' first or second team. Mikel Jones. Tucker was only the first team. Okay. So, So they didn't release, I think, a full list that i saw oh at kickoff it was only the first team they dropped i think it was just the first team that dropped uh jones has been put on watch list for buckus and nagurski awards tucker's yep. got the maxwell and dope walker schmidt's got the groza uh aaron Bolinsky was on the good works preseason i think there was another one that i saw he was named so long snapper you you know give some long snapper shout outs um, so Tucker was the only first team. Um, I put in the feedback this week asking people how many they thought would be at the end of the year. Cause obviously you've got Garrett Williams, you've got Jones, um, you know, Schmidt, if he gets back to that form, he showed as a, in 2018, even as Deuce, a kicker, Deuce if he makes a sophomore leap. Yep. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what was, you know, curious Tucker had the third highest votes among the media for first team honors. He was only, I think eighth in player of the year voting. Well, that, um, which, that that definitively shows you how those two are selected very yeah. differently because yeah. he was near unanimous for first team like he is the best running back in the ACC but because you both have to have a winning team right. and also quarterbacks are quarterbacks right he's probably going to be eighth eighth or so in player of the year yeah and there are some good quarterbacks um Devin Leary was a preseason player of the year choice which I thought was interesting um it was kind of uh, I know NC State's got a lot of hype. Uh, they lost some pieces. It'll be interesting to see how they start off. But uh, yep. I'm surprised that Leary was that definitive over like Cunningham or Sam Hartman or Van Dyke, you know, because Miami's predicted to win the Coastal. Hartman so. Van Dyke surprised me. Molly Cunningham is going to wreck people, but I get like 
you know, the, the, the quote unquote gimmick quarterback thing. Yeah. Like it, that'd be like if Schrader came out and started running all over people. It's not like anyone's voting him quarter, uh, player of the year because of that. Right. So, although Malik Cunningham versus Garrett, what we've seen of Garrett Schrader are two very different animals because one can throw the ball. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, Schrader was one of Baber's guys at the media days, and he said, this is my team. I feel more com- confident, more comfortable. Obviously, you know, he's not trying to steal a job this camp. He's trying to hold the job, and he's right. got a distinct advantage because uh, the two play- two of the three players behind him are brand new to the program. Uh, one who didn't even come to spring practice, and Del Rio Wilson, you know, who's been here this summer and, and yep. obviously that helps the learning curve, but did not go through spring practice. So he's been, you know, thrown to receivers against air mostly, um, you know, not facing the defense and, you know, Justin Lampson looked really good. He had that lower body injury. We'll wait and see. Hopefully we get a report Tuesday when media day happens about, you know, when he might be cleared for contact or if he's definitively out for the season, right. as we think it might be the case. Uh, Dan Valari, who came from Michigan and who seems to fit the Schrader mold of running QB, who is not comfortable throwing. Um, and then Jacoby and Morgan, who I thought had some glimpses in the spring game and obviously has a couple of games starting under his belt, has the size. But, you know, today's transfer portal, like the odds are if Morgan is the fourth guy getting towards the end of camp, like he might take off before classes start and enroll somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean it's not like we haven't you know, had that pass being precedent at this point already of people transferring yeah. midseason. So, well, and actually the same exact boat last year with someone leaving mm-hmm. prior to the season. Um, yeah. But yeah, Valari, I don't know. People seem very high on Valari just from what we saw during the spring game. He, and again, this is months ago at this point, like three months right. is a lot of time to work in a system. So something could have changed. Something could have clicked, but I would have put him definitively behind Morgan after watching the spring game. Yep. Uh, neither neither were playing against the ones, so it's also kind of a crapshoot of who they're throwing against, who they're playing against. Is it threes? Is it fours? Is it true freshmen that just got to campus a month ago? Who was it? So we we won't know that until we start you know fleshing things out in the order and we start seeing depth charts. So someone did mention in the comments that Anaya loves the gadget plays. Yes. Um, and he hasn't been afraid to move players around. Um, we know Syracuse is thin at tight end. Um, so, you know, they, they talk about this scenario where Valari plays 10. But I, I also wonder, like, could you see some sets where Valari is in the backfield? Um, because he's a good running back. Um, we saw what Rutgers did with their backup quarterback last year, who was just a short yardage guy. And, right. you know, every short yardage situation they had against Syracuse, they just gave him the ball and had him run forward. Um, could Syracuse use Valari as a short yardage guy? So, because Schrader, as good of a runner as he is, was struggled at the goal line last year. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of Schrader's running is predicated on misdirection and not knowing that he's like once he yeah. gets a little space, he's fine. But getting the, if everybody's keyed in and knows what he's doing, it's a very different animal, um, right? Which you know, it's the opposite of Mr. Tucker, who uh, everyone knows he's getting the ball and he's yeah. still doing good things. Uh, yeah, Del Rio Wilson's kind of the the big wild card in that QB room. 
yeah. at this point. And I think, unfortunately, you're going to see him throw some passes in the warm-up for the media open session. And there'll be some closed-door scrimmages that you might get. You'll get the university report of who did what. Um, but we're really not going to know how well he looks until maybe that opening night game. And you'll see if he is getting a series or two in the yeah. second quarter, like Schrader got against Rutgers, because at that point it was clear that the coaching staff wanted to see how well the second string guy looked because they had an inkling that he might be better for the offense. And we don't exactly know what the offense looks like. So this is all like right. rampant speculation, which, Hey, what's, what's more fun than rampant speculation on a Sunday night. Right. Um, that's, that's what we specialize in around here. So, um, <laughs> I, I guess if, I, I, that's the other question. Is, are Anae and Beck miracle workers with whatever mechanics Schrader was really struggling with? Because and, whatever it yeah. was, uh, it wasn't being helped by Sterling Gilbert. And was it Schrader? Was it a combination of Schrader and the receivers? Was it a combination right. of Schrader, the receivers, and the routes? Because we had one defensive coach say this year, like, oh, you don't have to watch a lot of film because Dino Babers, they run the same route tree for the last three years. And so... It was either a go or a comeback, and the slot guys ran these two routes. So will we see different combinations this year so that it's not as predictable? Um, look, you don't want, I don't want to seem like I'm making a ton of excuses for Schrader, but Syracuse doesn't have a number one wide receiver. The line wasn't great last year despite what Tucker did. Um, if he has Elmore healthy as another blocker, uh, that certainly helps. So maybe an A and Beck come in with some different play calling, some a different uh, approach. Um, they certainly seem to do well at Virginia in having a prolific offense. Um, you know, I'm not saying that Schrader is Brendan Armstrong by any means. He showed that on occasion he could make some throws. Yeah. Uh, then he really struggled when it was third down and, like, you needed a six yards. And, and he, you know, threw it low or too high. And, and so is that him and mechanics? Is that the receiver can't get a step on press coverage and make it an easy play? Is it the play call that just doesn't, you know, Tommy DeVito pointed out in the two years ago in Alabama's title game, like, Oh, it's real easy when the play call has receivers running free, you know, three different receivers running free behind the first down marker. And it's just playing, you know, it's back to that summer of throwing against air. Exactly. And that's, I, I think of those three things, all three are factors. You know, right. Anae and Beck are going to mix it up. We know from what we've seen at Virginia, what we've seen at BYU, they're not afraid to alter the play call. Their their playbook is not um, going to the second point you made. It's not if there's six yards, it's guaranteed to be a six yard dig with one guy running a slant across, and you know maybe one guy running a fly, uh, right. and then two or three receivers running you know six to eight yard digs. You're not going to see that every play. Yes, it's in the playbook. But it's not the it's not going to be the same call every time. It's not like he's just looking at a cheat sheet that says third and six. Let's run that yeah. play. Um, right. It's yeah. It's not the ask Madden uh, <laughs> selected <laughs> plays. So I think we're going to see a lot different, a lot different offense, a lot different style um, from the new OC, and I am for one quite excited to see that. So once once we can get actual film on that or uh more likely what usually happens is Stephen bailey gets like 
you know, 30 seconds of awesome footage that I get to stare at for way too yep. long. Uh, right. <laughs> so, so during all that time, check out Steven's Twitter because it's usually full of awesome things. And then I'll probably break things down way too much for whatever glimpses we get. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be it's getting to be the most wonderful time of the year. And all of our basketball people on the pod, um, or the basketball people listening, understand that this is a football podcast with a basketball problem. So oh, wow. we're 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 getting in deep here. <laughs> And let's face it, if we're starting to talk Syracuse basketball before the end of September, it's not a good time for Syracuse <laughs> football. So Very, very true. Very the true. The longer we talk football, the better news it is. Um, because you don't want us to dissect the Syracuse basketball issues right now <laughs> no. <laughs> in no, August. We could, we could wax poetic on those way too long, too. But um, We'll get to them. Yeah. I guess to, to close out something that uh, is, you know, in the most noons way possible. Um, Sean Tucker had a website debuted uh, by the school for his Heisman campaign that we yeah. know is going to be fruitless, but at least they finally have put something out and we're seeing some effort being put yeah. towards uh, getting him a Heisman campaign. The more important thing is there is some Sean Tucker fit out there. Uh, yeah, and, some merch. The, the, yeah, he is officially uh, NIL'd up. And there's some interesting, um, interesting choices in the Sean Tucker store. So I don't know if you've, um, if you've taken a look at exactly what's out there, or if you have any thoughts on exactly what's going on. So it's he's partnered with 500 Level, um, which partners actually with a lot of player the players associations. So you can get player shirts without team logos for most of the pro teams. And they'll produce um, a few different styles, and they've actually gotten a couple shirts, and they're pretty good quality. So Tucker is one of the college athletes that they partner with. A few of these companies have actually you know, gone into the NIL, home fields, done it with a couple of, I believe, Indiana um, student-athletes, uh, Breaking Tees, another company that's producing college T-shirts. Uh, the one that I was is there's one that just says, I, I was very pleased with my performance. <laughs> yeah. Um, the disappointing thing with that is it has the Syracuse logo, the block S in football, and it doesn't say 34 or Sean Tucker. Right. Um, if, they, if they'd have taken that block S and just changed that out for a 34, that was yeah. an instant buy. Yeah. And it's only in like gray and blue. It didn't have yep. an orange version, um, which of course is very fitting for Syracuse. Hey, we're the orange. Let's sell you all gray and blue t-shirts. Right. So that when you, we have an orange out, which is, I believe, the Notre Dame game, you can't buy the merchandise that we're making money off of to wear. Right. Why would you want to do that? Um, but I think there's some action shots, car- caricatures. Um, I think he's got, it says Sean Tucker ball in. Um, and, you know, he's got some 34, some inaction um, with him running the ball, which yep. good. Um, I The police, uh, you know, I tweeted it out from the noons. That's the perfect shirt for bloggers to wear at the end of the day. I was pleased with my performance. Um, <laughs> so that might become the official shirt. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll modify that. Wow, but there, uh, like you, really, if it didn't have the block. There really is not a single orange shirt on there. No, not. I kid you, we, folks, we do not lie at News Magician. We tell you the truth. We might tell you a bunch of stupid stuff that you want to hear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but we do not embellish. And when we say that the Sean Tucker new NIL deal with 500 level, which is obviously approved by the university and goes through all these channels, 
has zero orange shirts right now. So I have a black one. There's like an all yes. black pleased with your performance. Uh, yeah. I do I do love though for the record. I you may have mentioned it a second ago, but the silhouette uh Jumpman style silhouette yeah. on the back uh like the the top of the neck. That's yeah. that's actually a nice little touch. Yeah, and that to be honest if that was on the front in the center. Yeah. Yeah, uh, again, yeah like the I old, have uh, the old Griffey Swingman yeah. like yep. yep. Yeah. Just a small logo right there that's all you need. I think oh, that would uh perfect. that with like where the where the uh where it is now the 34 there. Yeah. That'd be a great shirt. They would be, I would definitely be more pleased with that shirt. Yes. Then. As long um, as it was but, actually you know, orange. <laughs> yeah, it's a step forward and and it's nice um Syracuse I think seems slow to react to the NIL and it's disappointing because you know of all the connections the university has like look we get it you don't want to form a shady collective that's you know claiming to be tax exempt and isn't and is going to get busted by the IRS in two or three years but uh, everybody else is (laughs) was it Texas Tech is giving every women's basketball player like 10 or 15 thousand dollars in NIL money and like all right here's your all-american running back and he was throwing axes for Apex Entertainment before, you know, the last month. Now I saw he's got like a, I think a Prime One Ten or Prime uh, Restaurant One Ten. What's the steakhouse? Oh prime yeah, steakhouse in Syracuse. Um, I get a street there. You could you could uh, uh, win win lunch with Sean Tucker. So yep. good to see him picking up some local stuff. And and this five hundred level deal is good because it's a national brand. So he'll get promoted nationally mm-hmm. um, by them and on their site. And like I said, because they deal with a lot of pro athletes. You know, that visibility helps, but, you know, Syracuse has to step it up and, and really do more to help these athletes, um, you know, like Tucker. And when we get into other sports, start talking to people that are, you know, really elite, find and maximize their value. And for the love of God, like, make sure there's some orange options in there, please. Yeah. Like, any any of them would be great. Yeah. So as as long as we're not pushing people to deals with Shirt World, I think we're in good shape. Yeah, about that. <laughs> well, I think that brings us to a wrap, unless you've got anything else that we missed. Uh, I don't. Um, you know, the one thing I point out is in the get to know. Please read the get to knows. You'll learn that Dan Valari went to high school as the new FTW champ of the world, Hook. If you don't know Hook, who Hook is, get to know Hook. See, when um, I, when I hear one, Hook, all I think of is Robin Williams in 1992 with Dustin nope, Hoffman. This, this, but... this is, for those of you old school ECW fans, remember Taz, the human suplex machine oh, who yeah. created the FTW title. Hook is Taz's son, um, <laughs> and he won the FTW title. My son actually happened to be in Worcester in attendance. Nice. Uh, he's from uh, Massapequa, North Massapequa, New York. So same high school, he played lacrosse. He's a lax bro. Um, but we mentioned that because Hook's theme song is was licensed from Action Bronson. And again, you know, Dan Valari should have, uh, as one of our commenters, Ryan, mentioned, that should be queued up if Valari gets in the game. The there Action Bronson should hit. Valari has his own merch shirt. He should have his own Send Valari shirt out there. <laughs> Instead of Send Hook, Send Valari. Um, FTW champ, maybe he'd be the FTW quarterback. So, uh you know, we might not make as many Marvel connections with John Gone, but the wrestling content and, and crossover has gone up four hundred and forty four percent. So there you go. But Absolutely. that's why you're in get to knows because you'll learn facts like that. Oh yeah. We deliver. 
Yep. We we may have uh, we may have issued the uh, Dino Babers movie connection solely for the fact that we've probably over the last five years covered every movie that you could connecting it to right. the Orange Program. Uh, but we'll get you we'll get you the other random connections and random facts. It, it, if folks have new ideas, throw them out. We'll listen. Yeah. Um, this, this that last two minutes talking about AEW wrestling is probably why I won't get invited back on the podcast and, <laughs> until there's well, another emergency call up needed, but Hey, that's all right. You know, we, uh, <laughs> you're, you're talking to the, we, we, no, we did have a soccer reference, so we're, we're still holding strong. So there was a yeah. soccer reference earlier. We're good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so actually I got to get working on that. I, I very, yeah, shout out Ryan, my preview, uh, uh, preview. Here's a soccer reference for you. Alex Bono had a clean sheet. Toronto mm. FC. Um, I think it was a milestone win for Bono. So it's a little shout out. So nice. Uh, and Ryan Raposo, I believe, playing well for Vancouver, the Whitecaps. Yeah, Caps. he's he's so. kind of coming into his own out there, which is really nice to see. Uh, you can tell they've really liked him since they drafted him, and he's finally, I think, putting. I think he's got two goals this year. So he's putting the ball in the back of the net and getting a little more playing time, and it's it's kind of working out for him. And while we're talking merch, let's get those soccer kits. Oh, absolutely. Available. Yeah, I, I have one of the make few in existence, and I have to hang it on a wall because you can't get any other ones. Yeah, we got to make it happen so so that the stadium can be full of folks. Well, once we ever achieve our goal, because I, I, I know you know, but Pregler and I and Christian have made it the, the goal of the podcast. At some point, if we ever get Ian McIntyre on the pod, we have to shut it down. That's the end of the podcast. That That's the culmination of the podcast. No, you can't shut it down because you got to get Yuka on. <laughs> oh, there you go. So... I know someone's listening that's going to tell Mac, Mac, come on, come on the podcast. <laughs> you know, you, you got to, the, these guys have been promoting the lads. Uh, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be a, a cracking good time. There you go. Um, you know, I, I'll put a word out. We'll, we got to get it. I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to make it my goal to help you guys get Mac on there you go. one night be, before, before their season ends. Um, even if we have to get them on a bus, uh, to, to make sure that he's reined in, but we're, we're going to make this happen. So there you go. Yeah. Well, we're going we'll to, we're going to expand this podcast. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to get a litany of special guests. Then you guys won't have to drag me out uh, to fill <laughs> in. A random Sunday night. <laughs> I think we'll take it though. So I hope so. I hope so. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you know, we're going to try and, and, and get you the football content that you need. We're, we're back off vacations and it'll be, Looking to, to pick up speed as we ramp up and, and hopefully start a much better 22-23 Syracuse season. Absolutely. So if you'd like any and all of your Syracuse football and in the future soccer and or whatever else is going on this fall coverage, check out noonsmagician.com. Uh, as always, follow the podcast whatever, wherever you're watching, uh, listening, um, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of those. Give us a review. Leave us a comment. You know, it helps the the algorithm trick uh, trick more people into joining the Ottoman Empire. So we're uh, we're out and about, and hopefully, if you're watching this on uh, the noon site tomorrow, it'll go up probably eight o'clock tomorrow morning. Um, thank you guys for visiting the site, and uh, I think I think we'll talk to you next week. And go orange, go orange.